Last week we began this series called Identity, Knowing Who We Are in Christ. Here's why. Because the world teaches you this. That what you do tells you who you are and who you are gives you your security in life. That it's activity, identity, security. That's the lie that you're told by the culture. That you are identified by what it is that you do. So uh, I play football, therefore my identity is that I'm a football player. And I, I find all of my security in the fact that I am a football player. The problem with that is, what happens the day that you're not a football player or no longer a whatever? Fill in the blank with whatever it is that you might identify with. But you see the problem. If we find our identity in what we do, it's constantly changing. So Jesus flips that over. And in the kingdom, it's like this. You have security, so therefore you've gained an identity that is secure. And you're free to go and live for the glory of God in action. You see that in 2 Peter, 2 Peter, or I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2.9. It says it like this, but you, this is security, but you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Identity, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now action. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain. Stay away from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. You see, Peter starts with, the scriptures start with, this is secure, this is your identity, now this is what you go and do. It's never instruction, oh yeah, by the way, it is, this is who you are. It is secure because of Christ. Now go and live for the glory of God. And this is why we're spending so much time on our identity, because... For, Everybody is asking the question, whether in church or out of church, who am I really? What defines me? And I'm afraid that if we buy the lie of the world, you'll find yourself empty at the end of that. When you define yourself by your job or your marriage or your sports or your grades or whatever. Because all that is, it's not forever. And so last week we talked about your identity as forgiven. That forgiveness is not just something you've received, but forgiven is somebody that you are in Jesus. Jesus has purchased your forgiveness and has made you a forgiven person. It's who you are. As we get into tonight's piece of identity, uh, how many of you remember a phone called the Motorola Razor? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? So when I was in high school, this is like 2005, 2006, it was the phone to have. It was a flip phone. Some of you are like, oh, flip phones. It was a flip phone, but it was one of these flip phones that like it almost came all the way open, like almost 180 degrees. It was close. Everybody's like, how can it do that? What a feat of technology. And it was like super thin. And if you're a really cool guy and bold, like you got a pink razor because you were that guy. And you're like, yeah, I have a pink razor. You're like, but you're a dude. And you're like, yeah, I know, but I have a pink razor. You're like, whatever, man. And it was a cool phone to have, right? That's less than 10 years ago. And it's comical to think if you found somebody today that is under the age of 80 carrying a flip phone, you would be like, what's the matter with you? Or you would think you must not be from here. Right? Or, your parents must really hate you. Right? 
Technology advances so rapidly, it's unreal, right? Like the iPhone, like iPhone, they were like, yeah, here's the 8, here's the 8S Plus. Forget 9, let's just go straight to 10. Like, let's just be honest, we're going to tell them it's a 9, and then we're going to come out 10, 6 months later, and they're going to want the 10, so that's just how that goes, right? Technology is advancing so rapidly, here's why. Because they know that we have this desire in us to be satisfied, and we'll go to all kinds of stuff to get it. And so you get a phone, or whatever it is for you. It may not be technology. But you get that thing, and you're like, yes, I've acquired it. I'm whole. You are my precious. And then an updated version comes out and you can't even charge your phone and listen to music at the same time because they only have one port and you have to get a dongle. And it's just like, I hate you, Apple. Right? So this is the deal. Marketing companies have understood something about us that we have this deep desire to be satisfied And we'll run to all kinds of places to gain it, but they know we can't get it and we'll be dissatisfied. And we think in our brains, okay, in order to get more satisfied, you know what? I need more stuff. I need to go get the the next best thing. I need to get, and this doesn't stop. This doesn't stop at teenage world, right? By the way, you get into adult and you're like, you know what? I would be satisfied if I had a better car. I'd be satisfied if I had a better house. Some people think I would be satisfied if I had a better family situation. I would be satisfied if I had a better job. It doesn't end. There's this deep need in us to be satisfied, but we've run to all the wrong places to find it. And what I want to submit to us today is that there is a satisfaction offered that is forever and will meet the need in you like nothing else can and will identify you as a satisfied person. So let's look at John chapter 6, starting in verse 35. I'll read through verse 40. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Let me set the scene for you. A few verses back, Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? 5,000 men, five loaves, two fishes. Jesus is like, y'all hungry? Eat. And everybody eats, and they're satisfied, and he takes up 12 baskets of leftovers. That's a miracle. You don't feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. That just doesn't work, but Jesus does it because he's God. And it's miraculous. They're amazed. They're like, holy moly, let's make this guy our king. And they start to like swarm on him, and Jesus is like, this is not good. This is not supposed to happen this way. So he escapes because he's Jesus. And... And him and his disciples, they get out of there. And the disciples decide, you know what? We can't stay here. Let's get in this boat and go to Capernaum. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to go with you guys right now. You guys go ahead. So they get in the boat and they go across. Later on, they find Jesus walking on the water toward the boat, which would be creepy enough. He gets in the boat. The boat immediately gets to Capernaum. The next day, the crowd that he had just fed a day before. They're like, let's find Jesus again because that was awesome. And so they go to find Jesus and they're like, where's he at? And so they go, oh, well, what about the boats? So they go to the boats like one, two, three, four, five. There were six here yesterday. The disciples got in one. And Jesus didn't go with them. But he's not here. How? Well, maybe he went to Capernaum. Let's go and look. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 25. 
So they get to Capernaum, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So they go over there and they're like, hey, man, there were uh, a few boats over there, only one left, and you didn't get in it, and you're over here. So that's weird. Jesus reads their mail. Look at the next verse, verse 26. Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but instead you ate your fill of loaves. Here's what he says. Let me just cut through all of the, like the pleasantries and the introductions and the questions that you have. Let me just get to why you showed up today. You didn't show up because you're after me. You showed up because you want some more food. You're, you're here for a show. You want some more magic. You want my stuff. Look at what he says in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, that being himself. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So he gets through it, and he, what he does is proves to them, listen, you're here to meet a physical need. You have a much bigger need than, than like physical food. You have a way larger need. He is getting them to see you have a need to be satisfied. And he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that leads to eternal life. Let's look how they respond in verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered him, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. They said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus is painting this picture for these people to get them to see that they have a need. And they're not getting it at first. He's like, look, work for the, the bread that leads to eternal life. And they're like, what? What sign do you have to show us? Like our father's got bread in the wilderness, right? Manna from heaven. Do you have signs like that? He's like, look, by the way, uh, Moses didn't give them that bread. God gave them that bread. And the bread that comes down from God is that bread that leads to eternal life. They're starting to get it, right? They're starting to get, okay, we're not talking about real bread anymore. We're talking about satisfaction, like a deep satisfaction he's getting them to see you have a need did you see how they responded in verse 34 sir give us this bread give us this bread so you have a need and here's the need you have a deep need in you to be satisfied you have a deep need in you to be satisfied and here's what you need to know that need to be satisfied is an eternal need you were created with it Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Solomon identifies eternity has been set in our heart. We have been created with this deep need and desire to be satisfied. And guess what? That desire is an eternal desire. It's an eternal need. We were created with it. Jesus is identifying these people with that need. That's true of us today. We have this deep desire to be satisfied. And it's an eternal desire to be satisfied. Now, what's our problem then? Our problem is what I identified in the beginning. We go to all the wrong places to satisfy that need. 
We go to all kinds of places to satisfy that need. Jesus doesn't identify that here, but he did two chapters earlier in John chapter 4. Jesus rolls up in the middle of the day to this well. It's real hot. He's thirsty. There's a Samaritan woman there. He speaks to her. He's like, hey, can you give me a drink? That's not what he says, by the way. I'm paraphrasing. Can you give me a drink? She's shocked. She's like, excuse me, uh, Jewish men don't speak to Samaritan women. I don't know if you know the code, but this is not okay. He's like, hey, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask me for a drink. And I'll give you living water. He goes on in verse 13, John 4, 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She still thinks this is about actual water. If you can give me water that I don't have to come back to this well, that sounds awesome because I don't really like coming here. I'm coming at noon because I'm kind of ashamed of my lifestyle. But like, great, we're still talking about water. And Jesus gets to the heart of it. He says in verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one, that you're, the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So he shifts the conversation to get her to understand. We're not talking about water, real water. We're talking about a, a deep soul, eternal satisfaction that you have. That you run to man after man after man after man after man after man to find satisfaction in. And none of them are giving you what you want. And I'm here telling you, I'm living water. I'll give you exactly what you want. I'll give you exactly what you need. She had run to all the wrong places to find it. And we're guilty of that. We're guilty of running to all kinds of places to find satisfaction. If I could just get to my achievement, like if I could just achieve, if I could get certain grades, if I graduate with a 4.0 or whatever the scale is now, 100.0 or whatever you guys are doing with your AP classes, like if I could just graduate with this GPA, if I could be top 5% because top 10% is not good enough anymore, which is ridiculous to me. It's like, I've got to get these grades. And if I don't get these grades and I'm not like a, I'm not, a, I'm not excellent in life and I'm not like good at anything. Or you, maybe it's sports. If I don't make the team that, that that's my thing. Like that's what gives me value. Or I get in a relationship because I get in this relationship so that I can feel loved. I, I, I'm gaining relationship. Uh, I'm getting love from this person. Or maybe when I get older, I'm just going to get money because money makes me feel good and money will satisfy me. All the problems that I have now will be solved by money. What's interesting, there's a guy named Solomon. He's the richest dude who ever lived. Like the, the CEO of Amazon, right? I don't know his name. He's the now officially the wealthiest man alive. Solomon made that guy look like a joke. That's how wealthy we're talking. He had money. He had power. He had women. He had servants. He had livestock. He had places to live. You know what he found? In this book called Ecclesiastes in the Bible. He said, all of that stuff. It's vanity. It's like chasing the wind. In fact, he says that in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 16 and 17. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom. I'm the wisest man alive, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. 
and I applied to my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. It's useless. It's not giving me what I thought it would give me. He goes on in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. The richest man on the planet to ever live says you will not be satisfied with money. You're like, yeah, Katie, but he probably doesn't understand. He's wealthier than you could ever imagine being. So if you're thinking that you're going to grab some money to make yourself feel valuable, it won't give you what you're looking for. You'll chase the next dollar. And it won't come from relationships and it won't come from a guy or girl's attention and it won't come from achievement and it won't come from power and it won't come from anything because you have this need in you that's eternal and you're running to all these temporal things to fill it. And they were never meant to fill it. Never meant to fill it. Well, then the question is this, where do we get satisfaction? Let's look and see what Jesus answers in verse 35. They say, give us this bread. Jesus says this in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is how Jesus answers. He's like, look, I know your father's got bread in the wilderness, but I'm talking about a better bread, a bread that's come down from heaven. That's from God. They're like, sweet. Give us that bread. You got it in your pockets or something? He goes, no, 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 no. I'm that bread. I'm that bread. We're not talking about real bread. We're talking about a person and belief. To come and be consumed by me. To come and be satisfied by me. Because I'm the one fulfilling the need in you. He says it again in verse 48. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. So that one, so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is talking about being satisfied by the sacrifice that he gives for us. The only way that you will find satisfaction is in Jesus alone. You have an eternal desire in you that can only be met by an eternal God. So you can keep chasing relationships and you can keep chasing money and you can keep chasing success, but it will be like chasing the wind. You'll never catch it. And Jesus is saying, if you would just come to me and eat, if you would come and be consumed by me, if you would come and believe in me that I have lived, died and risen so that you could be reconciled to God, you would understand I am the one that satisfies you. Don't look anywhere else. Maybe the question that you have in this moment is, how do you know? How do you know that Jesus is the one that actually satisfies? How can that be? How is it that Jesus satisfies our biggest need and all of our needs? Well, that's a good thing. The first thing is this. How do I know? I know that Jesus satisfies because he has satisfied our greatest need in the giving of himself. He satisfied our greatest need in the giving of himself. Look back at verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, talking about himself, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
Jesus meets our greatest need. Here's our greatest need. That you and I are in rebellion against God because of this thing called sin. That we are actually separated from God because of this serious problem in us called sin. And I don't need to prove to you that you have sin in you because you know the thoughts, you know the actions, you know the ways that you live when nobody else is looking or maybe when people are looking, the things that you desire, those are at war with God. And apart Apart from Christ, we are left helpless and hopeless. And yet God in his love sends Jesus to come and live perfectly where we were supposed to live perfectly. And to die where we were supposed to die. Taking on the wrath of God and then going into the grave and getting up from the dead. Being the way to God. And Jesus, through belief in him, reconciles us to God. He meets our greatest need by sacrificing himself on the cross. And if he has met your greatest need by being reconciled to God, why can't he meet every other need that you have we don't have an answer he's met our greatest need so he must be the one that satisfies second reason that i know that jesus is the only source of our satisfaction is because he's the creator he created us with that desire colossians 1 16 says this for by him that's by jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Everything in the universe, everything in existence was created by Jesus. The desire in you to be satisfied was created by Jesus. And guess who he created to satisfy it? Only that which is eternal. No creature can satisfy what the creator has put in you. It can only be, it can only be the creator. It can only be the eternal. No created thing can satisfy. Only the eternal. He's the creator. He must be the one that satisfies. The third reason I know that Jesus is our only source of satisfaction is because he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one of God. So the scene in John chapter 6 goes on. The crowd's a little baffled. They're like, are you talking about like eating your flesh, man? That's weird. He's like, yeah. In fact, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. They're like, right. So this is getting weirder, Jesus. So they're confused. He's going on and saying, look, you've got to be consumed by me. He's not really talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's talking about being consumed by him, believing in him, believing he's the one that died and was raised. He says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Look at what happens. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They were like, you know what? We were just here for a show. You're right. I don't want this. We came for some food and you're talking about some like satisfaction stuff and that's too hard for me. I'm out. So they bail. So look what Jesus does in verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, right? He's talking to the big crowd. Now he turns to the 12. Do you want to go away as well? Peter answers in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus gives them the ramp off. He goes, look guys, if this is too much for you, you can just hop off right here. You can exit. And Peter asks him a question. Where are we going to go, Jesus? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. 
And we have believed and come to know that you're the Holy One of God. You're the chosen one. It's like he's saying, Jesus, where else are we going to go? You're the only one that can give me the satisfaction that I'm looking for. Why would I go anywhere else, Jesus? You're it. To whom shall we go? So the question to you is, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to find the satisfaction that Jesus has given you? Maybe you need to ask the question that Peter asks. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the Holy One of God. Nobody satisfies like you. No relationship, no achievement, no amount of money. Nothing satisfies like you, Jesus, because you're the Messiah. You're the chosen one of God. So the big question then for us is this. What on earth does it look like to be satisfied in Jesus? Because we can say it all day long. Like, okay, yeah, be satisfied by Jesus. Be satisfied in Christ. We can hear that phrase in church. And we're like, okay, great. But you leave here and you think in your brains, I've done this before. I don't know what that looks like. like. I don't know what that means. Here's what it means. To be satisfied in Jesus is to resolve, is to conclude, is to find. That no other source of satisfaction is better than him. To be satisfied in Jesus is to resolve that no other source of satisfaction is better than him. It's to look at all other sources that you would run to and see them as cheap. And say, not going to give me what I want. Not going to give me what I want. Not going to give me what I need. Not going to give me what I'm looking for. It will trick me for a season and then leave me dry. To be satisfied in Christ is to say things like, I'm not... I'm not going to look to this relationship in order to feel loved because I'm satisfied by the fact that I'm loved in the best way by Jesus. To be satisfied in Christ is to say, I'm not going to view my athletic or academic success as my source of value because I'm satisfied by the value that I get knowing that I'm valued by Jesus. To be satisfied in Christ is to say, I'm not going to see money or stuff as my source of security because I'm satisfied by the security that I gain by knowing I'm a part of the family of God. There's nothing more satisfying than that. So if I could beg you, stop running to cheaper satisfactions and look to Jesus. You, you know, like you, your experience tells on you that you've run to stuff like that. And on the backside, you got mad because it didn't give you what you thought it would. Some of you bear scars of relationships that you ran to to give you satisfaction and it left you dry. So look to Jesus, the only one that can satisfy. Last question. If this is our identity. Right, if Jesus is the one that satisfies, that makes us satisfied people. That means we're satisfied. If this is our identity, what does it mean? It means this. In Christ, you are satisfied. So, you don't have to look for satisfaction anywhere else. You don't have to run to the relationship. You don't have to, you don't have to desperately chase achievement. You don't have to look for man's approval. You don't have to always be the best at everything because you're like, if I don't, I'm a failure and nobody values me. Some of you are chasing those things because you think that's what matters. That's why people love me because I'm the funny one or because I'm the one that's good at sports or because I'm the one that's good at school or I get attention from him or I get attention from her. So I'll do whatever it takes in order to keep it all because you're chasing a cheaper satisfaction. 
when Jesus is standing and saying, I'm the bread of life. Nobody satisfies like me. So let's ask along with Peter, to whom shall we go? Where are you going to go that satisfies better than Jesus?